I think it's all over. It is now. Here is Kulisevsky. Here is Kane. He scores and silences the place. Coleman caught on it by Salah, and Salah is off and running now. Catch him if you can. Mo Salah, brilliant. In the center, Kane, goal. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Back again. Uh, it's been a little bit of a break, but I'm back with Joe. Joe, how are you doing today? Oh, the world is the world is back. We're back. We're back. Everything we in life is back to normal. Took a little break, uh, but you know, we it's it, it's we didn't really miss much, right? In the last couple of weeks, not much has happened. Um, so you know, it's probably be a oh. quick podcast. Not much to talk about. Um, Just so the listeners know, it's your fault, not mine. Oh, it's 100% my fault. I take full accountability. It's all good. Joe is ready to go every day. Every day there was breaking news, Joe was ready to record. So yeah, I think but... pretty much. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> We're back up and running, though. Um, before we dive in, don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Uh, get, our, get our latest episodes straight into your inbox. Uh, Joe, if anyone wants to reach out, if anyone has questions, thoughts, feelings, uh, angry words towards us, how can they reach us by email? Uh, the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com. That is the wrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. Perfect. And yeah, follow us on Twitter at wrongfootpod. Check out our website, wrongfootpodcast.com. Um, Joe, I didn't tell you this, but my brother, every year for his birthday, him and his mates get together, celebrate my brother's birthday, and they always do a ranking of the Premier League managers by their handsomeness. Uh, so I might post that on the website, the, the results of this year's uh, who is the most handsome, wow. good-looking manager in the Premier League. So an interesting tradition for my brother's birthday. I don't know how it started. Maybe I'll get him to write a blurb. So we can I mean, I don't know how you don't say Sean Dyche. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I, he may not have been uh, a current manager. His birthday was on the 28th of, of January, so it was uh, probably uh, predated that. Maybe Frank Lampard's still squeezed in there. Uh, he's usually uh, pretty high-rated. Well, actually, he looked pretty haggard by the end of his... Uh, his well, look, I, wanna, I want a real man who can play defensive football and that's not frankie lamps you want you want the straight the strong the strong man um yeah i think we should uh probably discuss the the biggest news story that will probably be the biggest news story in the premier league for some time as it drags on and that's uh the fa finding man city guilty of over a hundred breaches of the various financial policies rules and whatever they have in place um i don't know how much i care or think this is news until we hear what the punishment is we've seen this before at the uefa level and you know they've been quote-unquote banned from the the champions league and then it's always been revoked it's always been walked back uh joe what were your first thoughts when you you saw the headlines that they've been found guilty well i, I want people to know i almost have a uh i almost had a i almost i almost was i almost became a cfp so i did take some financial <laughs> master's classes so i could and what's the uh, when, when accounting? What is it? I forget the one in Masters of Accounting, but um, I was like four classes away from that. But accounting is so boring. So, of course, <laughs> we decided to have a football podcast where we can talk about finances and accounting. Um, yeah, so we're not going to bore you too much because I think the, the level of these allegations are quite serious. And, you know, um, City previously had issues, but it was under their um, UEFA sanctions, so they were able to appeal them to the board of arbitration and they were successful these um somehow are not repealable so um, <laughs> the premier league really has the upper hand here it's really just a question of first what exactly did man city do and secondly what what is the appropriate punishment for these actions 
So on the first point, um, I think what it's important to understand, I think you, I, I think we as football, just football fans, just kind of saw this just from afar. We didn't really think twice about it, but so many of the things that Manchester City did were just kind of out in the open, in the sense that this is a country that is essentially run by a foreign country. <laughs> and so when you have that, there's a lot of loopholes that they can use to, sh- especially when you're talking about accounting and finance, they can use to kind of gloss over some of their, their, um, you know, maybe malpractice might be too strong because we don't know exactly what they did, but just some of their accounting and, and finances, they can, you know, misinterpret them, right? And yeah, I, I just I, want to interject there quickly, like because one of the big things UEFA always found them guilty of. So, like with the financial fair play at the UEFA level, it's all about like you basically have to break even, right? So you have to not just be spending, spending, spending just because your owners have deep pockets. You've got to be able to prove that you're also making that revenue back. But the problem with that is, and and kind of what you're alluding to there is, you know, Man City. Uh, sponsored by emirates the air company which i'm pretty sure have ties to the people that also own man city so you can effectively say what the sponsorship deal is to make sure you balance the books right so it's kind of it it, i don't know how you regulate against that like if if you can say like yeah they sponsored us for 20 billion pounds this year like I guess you have to prove that that cash flow came in, but it just, it, it seems wild to me. Sorry to, to interject. No, no, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, City's owner is Sheikh Mansour, uh, whose net worth is projected at, like, $17 billion. So <laughs> this is a guy who has uh, plenty of money. Um, and, you know, so basically, you know, we say this with PSG, we've seen this with... Chelsea under Obramovich, but in this case, you know, with with City specifically being owned by the UAE, right? Yeah. And is in and, and this is a you know, the Man City kind of I think it's called Football City Group is the the term of their ownership. They they own many clubs in many different countries, including in America, New York City FC. Yeah. Um, so I think the two things that you know when we talk about what two things that they do wrong. One is on the on the cost side, right? So they they had to, as you mentioned, it's basically financial fair play is to keep trub- clubs from getting out of trouble and to basically break even. So what City were doing to get around these rules is it's hard for a club like Man City to show revenue in the sense that they're not a they don't have a, as big of a ground as a United or a Liverpool or an Arsenal and or have like the affluent fan bases those countries have uh, those those teams have or the history in the the massive amount of fans that those teams have so there's less of an opportunity to gain revenue and especially when they were first trying to compete back in 2008 2009 when they first took over man city was in a far different place than they are today and their fan base has obviously grown because when you win people want to (laughs) support you right so one thing especially they mentioned in, in some of the reporting that i read is uh, Roberto Mancini, they basically gave him a salary, but they only, a percentage of that was from Man City, right. and he was getting paid by a Sheikh Mansour, Manchester <laughs> City, um, I don't want to, sometimes they were like a shell company that gave him additional money for like, you know, speaking engagements or t- different kind of services, and that wasn't 
part of FFP, so they didn't count against City's books, right? right? And then they would do the same thing with their shirt sponsors and um, you know all these you know Qatari sponsorships or, be, or the Emirates, you know, <laughs> all these um, you know sponsorships were through the government. So it's basically the government's paying themselves, but is channeling it through Man City. So it looks like Man City is getting this additional revenue. But it's really not. It's just the ownership giving them more money. Right. Um, and then the other way they were doing this um, was through, um, you know, transfer negotiations. Sometimes um, and a couple of the, the points were saying that they would pay the club like a lump sum that wasn't that was kind of like under the table, so to speak, <laughs> using different mechanisms. Um so there, there's a there's a there's a variety of charges here, right? But basically, it all comes down to Man City has an owner that has a lot of money, but the only way to get around financial fair play, alloc, you know, rules is to try and allocate that money through different ways. So through sponsorships, through paying guys off the books, whether that be managers, whether that be transfers, however they can. Basically, what they're trying to do is limit expenses as much as possible through the club while trying to generate revenue as much as possible to keep within that balance of financial fair play. Right. Yeah, and it's at the end of the day, they're still spending the same amount of money and not making that amount of money back, right? It's just, it's the whole shell game of, okay, how are we actually reporting on this? And that's what was kind of looked into. Um, and, you know, Mancini is like, the biggest one that they've put the spotlight on people have asked pep in the past in the past and kind of he's been very defiant um he said that if this is found out to be true and they've lied to him he would quit on the spot i don't know how true that is or like how much he's just trying to kind of make a a point but it it just the hardest thing i find is like this is a team who have spent millions and millions over the last 15 years now to to get where they are like it's just obvious, right? Like, and it's the same. Like, we'll talk about the the transfer window in a minute. And like, looking at Chelsea, it's like the amount of money that they forked out in in the last month or so. It's like they're not making that much revenue this year, right? Like, so I think the the biggest or my biggest fear that like or reason for thinking nothing is going to happen is because is this really the can of worms you want to open, right? Because if you do this to Man City, you then effectively should be looking at every club, um, and I'm pretty sure. Um, obviously, they're one of the biggest spenders and um, obviously have got a lot of success from all the money that they've invested in terms of Premier League titles. But they're not going to be the only club that have kind of moved things around kind of in a smart way to, to hide some of this stuff so that they can stay um, within the parameters of these rules. And there's, that's why I think you've got to be careful thinking like, oh, they're going to kick Man City out of the out of the Premier League, they're going to relegate them down to the National League or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, if you do that, but then you then have to go through the books of every team. You have to give the same level of punishment. Where, like, I don't know that that's what the FA want to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, I, yeah, I want to talk about the punishments in just a second, but I think the ironic thing about this whole financial fair play situation is that the, the, the goal of financial fair play is to keep clubs solvent, right? Right. So to keep you know a club like Portsmouth um, and what happened to them, a team like Barry, what happened to them, yeah. even like a team like we've seen with Juventus or Barcelona, spending way above their means, right? right? That is what financial fair play is meant to do. The funny thing in this instance is Man City is never going to be 
and financial ruin because their owner just prints money. Right. So it's really like <laughs> it's it's kind of like financial fair play is, is supposed to be this protection, but really in Man City's case, it's like a it's an obstacle they're trying to get around so that they can spend the money that they have, um, but that yeah. they don't necessarily generate as a club. Because I think what people often kind of think it is, like the whole financial fair play is to try and make some kind of like equitable business for like the smaller teams, but it's really not, right? Like this is not a salary cap where you're saying every team can only spend X amount of money on wages. Like there's no right. cap on how much they can spend as long as they can prove that they have also made that amount of revenue as well. So it's, yeah, I, I, I don't really know what it achieves um, beyond, like you say, it's, it's to avoid the kind of, random people coming in spending getting in a ton of debt walking away and then these clubs basically have to fold because they don't have any money whereas that's not going to happen with man city because what's going to happen is they're going to sell it at a point if or at all if they ever get to that point and it will be sold for a a value and there'll be an amount of money there like this person's money is not like to your point is not drying up anytime soon because you know until the oil dries up like his money's not drying up so it's yeah it just it it almost is a rule to create these instances as well where people are gonna try and get creative and for all the rugby fans out there this happened in the premier league or the premiership of of rugby um with saracens and, and what their owner did was with all their players because there is a salary cap in that and what he did was basically gave the star players um, very kind of an average salary, but then he also gave them all these uh, like properties and real estate investments. Um, so basically, they were making a lot more money, um, but it was off the books. But they were found guilty of that and and did get relegated from the top tier of rugby. But like, it, it's it's just this these things are always going to happen, and I think sometimes the rules almost create more of this issue um, and, is there, and, is, and force them into it. Uh, not to sidetrack us, but is there a major rugby event this summer? The Rugby World Cup this summer, yeah. The big When's one. that? When is that? When is it happening? It's in, uh, let me look it up, the exact date. Football season's done, right? Yeah, Domestically. Are we doing a Rugby World Cup podcast? Well, it could be like you, an expert, me, who knows absolutely nothing. We'll get you into it. So starting at the end of September, so it's probably the start of next season. Ah, uh, that's so late. Yeah. That's so late. Why is it so late? Well, they can't play in the summer because the ground's too hard. <laughs> bullshit <laughs> go to the other hemisphere figure it out well, they do that sometimes um, as well but yeah and it's so, all to do so with yeah. the seasons but yeah sorry Little yeah so there. go well i sidetracked us it's my fault i was hoping it was gonna be in the summer i could fill a couple weeks because uh, i've always kind of wanted to get into rugby but yes. um yeah so in terms of the punishment um first of all we don't know it, it could be wide-ranging we don't know how guilty they are i think everyone knows that they're guilty to some extent it's just a matter of how much uh you know the fa can prove and how much they actually want to prove because this isn't a good look for them right (laughs) this is something that you would like to kind of sweep under the rug if you could uh we've seen that in you know with the national football league there have been you know bounty gate spy gate whatever it be the nfl tries to give a punishment and swiftly forget about it and the issue with this i think is a couple issues right first i think if you go back like primarily the two clubs that will be affected are liverpool and manchester united and, you know, I just, I hate the idea of giving a team trophies 
in the past, right? Like, oh, Liverpool, you're actually the champions of, you know, 2017. Yeah, no one, no one you know? would want that, right? Like, what do you celebrate? Like, we weren't right. actually the best team, but apparently these, these people spent a bit more money than they should, so now we are. Like, they're not going to have a parade for that. Like, it, I don't think anyone's ever going to really count those against, you know, their total number of titles and things like that. So it's it, it sucks to think, like, well, maybe if they had been following the rules, you know, you might have a few more titles under your belt. But I don't think that, yeah, to me, that... Strip it away from them. You can take it off their them, but to then give it to another team, like I just find it strange and pointless. Right, and then you have the monetary aspect, which would, which I think would be the biggest hindrance <laughs> for the Premier League. Like, how do you adjudicate that? And then the issue too is like, and I think this, and this could very well happen. We've seen this happen with Juventus. They were docked 15 points this year. You can dock Man City points this year, but that does two things. One, that almost kills the title race this year, which. I don't think the Premier League really wants to do. They right. want to keep interest up. They, they want to keep the title race going as long as possible. So if you're punishing a club like City in season, you're going to destroy the title race. And, you know, if, if City lose like 20 points, they're probably not going to make the Champions League. If they lose 15, I think it'll be borderline. If they lose 10, they would be fine, I would think. But, yeah. you know, it's it's somewhere in those lines. And when you adjudicate a punishment halfway through the season, it's, you know, it's not great either. So my preference is if they're going to dock them points, if they're going to, you know, demote them to whatever league they want, whether it be the championship or the Nate, which I don't see them going, you know, the non-league. But I say they docked into the championship. That these 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 allegations were so severe, right? Right. Um, yeah, I think like to that, point, that's one thing to put to but take the points if, away now as well. I think it like the Pep's almost already conceded the the title race. Like we we were speaking about a few weeks ago, where he was saying that like it's done. He's not going to focus on it. Like, do you really want Man City rolling out their reserves every week? Because at that point, and especially if you dock them enough points that they may not make the Champions League by the league, like they definitely want to win the Champions League this year. Then so they're going to be all in on that, and they will give no interest in in the Premier League. And I think it just it's a detriment to the game itself by doing that. Right, and I think if they get just a if, – if the penalty is just a point penalty, I think that should be administered at the beginning of next season, right? Yeah, I so I think that's the cleanest way to do it. Man City should be docked 15, 20 points starting next year. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't – even if – and I understand that these punishments are in the – are you know, already happened, and they affected leagues and titles and trophies that they've won previously, but I just don't know how else you – I think the fairest way to adjudicate the punishment – is to do it starting next year, whether it's just a point deduction or whether they relegate them or, you know, nothing happens, which is also very possible. Yeah. Or they just give them a fine, which they'll be able to pay, right? Yeah. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> which is just silly. But, uh, right. but anyway. And the only thing, the only other thing I want to mention on this, I don't know if you have anything else to say, Rich. No, I'm good. The only other thing I would say is the financial fair play system is so complicated. <laughs> and it, it's frustrating because I think if, if a, a really simple solution where if they just looked at American sports, you know, you have Todd Bowley, you have John Henry, you have all these Americans, right? Uh, especially John Henry who owns the Boston Red Sox. If they used a, a system like they do in Major League Baseball where there's no salary cap, but there's a luxury tax. So right. basically, when you get over a certain dollar threshold, every dollar you pay for your roster, for your salary, is taxed at a certain rate. And anything, whatever rate it's taxed at, whatever dollars that you're paying in tax goes to the other teams. So in this system, would be say like City had, you know, they could spend whatever they want. Say they spent $300 million, the tax 
tax threshold is 250 million and they get taxed on that 50 million dollars let's say they generate you know a 30 percent tax or whatever if they generate 10 million dollars that's 10 million dollars you could give to wherever you want through the english pyramid which could help save some of these lower league teams we talk about how the fa cup gate is so critical to these teams well this is a system where you can say hey you're a big club you want to spend extra money fine we're going to tax you extra we're going to allow that to trickle down to keep these lower clubs lower clubs operational yeah no that's that makes sense i think the hardest thing is is like there's so much quote-unquote tradition with the fa and the history of the league and how things are done and i think things like that it's just i don't know how open they are to change whether rightly or wrongly um it's just but i think that's the easiest way way to change it right right? yeah Yeah. because and and we've we've talked to it about it enough now but i there's ways around the financial fair play so i don't and it's not the aim like i say i think is not to make things equitable and try and make it so there aren't two horse races title races and make it equitable it's more just to just kind of keep costs affordable but anyway this takes us on to the the game of the week you know it's uh it's a big week for the greatest of all time breaking scoring records no, we're not talking about LeBron James. We are talking about Harry Kane. He finally oh. becomes Tottenham Hotspur's uh, leading all-time record goal scorer with a fantastic win. I, I think it's put them definitely well in the mix for kind of a top three finish uh, with, with how other results have gone with their 1-0 win over Man City. Uh, Joe, you must have been in, in dreamland this weekend. Well, why didn't they stop the match in the 15th minute? I mean, they should have stopped it right then and there, right? Um, just, just start, just give him a little parade and a little fanfare and get him to talk during the game. Yeah. Yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I thought this was an interesting game. Like, obviously, we saw these teams play a few weeks ago. Tottenham got up two nil at the Etihad, um, and then it just it went horribly <laughs> wrong. Right? It was four two before you know it. Um, this game, it was weird because I don't. Tottenham played well, especially in the first half, but I never felt like they were, um, like, I I thought they deserved to win. I thought they were the better team. Um, You know, I think the XG showed that. Um, They they won XG. Um, And and I think this is the game. The thing I want to point out is when you look at traditional stats, I don't think the traditional stats really tell the story of this game, right? Man City had 64, 64% of the possession. They had, you know, 15 goal attempts. They had 19 free kicks, six corner kicks, right? They were ahead of Tottenham in all those areas. Uh, Tottenham even had a red card laid by Christian Romero. But the the possession that Tottenham had was so much more impactful when they had it, right? I thought their counterattack went well. Um and all the shots, if you look at the shot distribution, almost all the shots from Man City were either outside of the box or at poor angles. And Lloris, I didn't really feel was ever troubled in this match, right? So City had 15, they had 15 attempts, they had 64 possession, but they didn't really do much with it. They didn't create much with it. And as a Tottenham fan, I never was like, and it's a rarity this year, um, I never felt like really in danger during this game. I felt like Tottenham were always in control. Now, I thought like, City's probably going to score a goal here because Tottenham should have made this two. They should have scored a second at the end of the first half. Right. But, you know, I, I still didn't feel bad about it. So, and even when Ramiro went off with the red card, they were down to 10 men. I didn't, like, I wasn't like, oh, crap, like, you know, bleed this clock, bleed this clock, you know. So, 
Um, I think yeah. it's it's another worrisome performance for if you're a Man City fan. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those like we we've talked about kind of different performances from from Man City of, of, okay, over the course of this podcast, and I think this was definitely not one of those ones where you thought you, you're waiting for them to score. Like, there's definitely been times um, where you know they may not get the exact result they want, or even when they win three nil, you think well they probably should have won like eight or nine nil. Um, but like in this game, it was just yeah, they didn't look like anything special. They didn't look like like you say, I, I don't even really remember thinking, oh, they should have scored that. Like it was like Harland was quiet to say the least. Yeah, um, there was no crosses into the box. Yeah, it wasn't like they were knocking on the door, and you know, it, it didn't feel like Tottenham were holding on. And I think Tottenham really held their own in this and and played a great game. And I think it would have been easy for it not to go that way based on how the game a few weeks went right like and in that game city were dominant even in the first half and and tottenham kind of grabbed the two late goals in the start uh, at the end of the first half and then like we know what happened in the second half and yeah that city never looked like they were going to not win that game uh, even when they suddenly conceded two goals whereas this game was it, it was night and day from both teams really like um and i think it's like i say with, with how some of the results have gone tottenham are, are well back in the in the mix of i don't know if if, if arsenal are still within reach especially as they no. played a couple of extra games i think i don't no. think i'd say they're in a the title shot but i think depending on what happens with Man City and where their focus goes for the rest of the year, whether it's on the league or if it's on the on the Champions League, you know, they're in striking distance already of Man United and, and Man City are only a, couple, a few points more ahead of them. So I think it was it was a great result. Um, but yeah, anything else to say on this one before we talk about our friend Sean Dyche? Oh, I can't wait. But um, yeah, what I want to <laughs> say about Man City is... Um, um, just just like very up and down performances and this is just another one right mm-hmm. um man city arsenal fa cup i didn't think man city played great even though they had their starting you know starting 11 basically their first team we saw them recent recently play man united obviously there was the controversial offside but manchester united were the best team they were knocked out of the efl cup by southampton so i just i feel like there's another like not great man city performance and you know they're trailing in this premier league race if they want to win if they want to win the champions league they need to play better and they just look like you know we saw julian out um the uh who's the the uh who went to bayern munich i'm, I'm trying to play oh, the right back Consuelo. joao Cancelo. yes i wanted to say uh alvarez <laughs> um but yeah joao Cancelo. You, you know that was seemed like a weird situation kevin de bruyne not playing this game coming off the bench seemed a little odd like how do you not have room for kevin de bruyne in your squad so there just seems to be like a lot of uneasiness um in the man city locker room and i just i don't um they could flip a switch right and they could fix it they obviously have the talent to roger played terrible in this game um i think their back four still looks pretty good i like the way akanji looks i think ake is a good player as well but you know they have enough talent i just i don't know i just it just it, it, there just seems to be something off with the club. Yeah, and I think like let's talk about the the Consuelo leaving. It was like I think it was the game before he just like was randomly on the bench uh, for no reason, and like then a week later, out of nowhere, he's going to <sighs> Germany, and it just he's like been one of their most consistent players for some time now, and it just like I, it, to me it, it kind of seems like there must have been more to that whole story which i don't know if we'll ever find out but it just it just seemed odd to like he just suddenly was on the bench and then suddenly gone like 
something must have happened just based on like this wasn't you know Jack Grealish who we've seen kind of fluctuate in and out of the squad um, Calvin Phillips the same right like Pep's not his biggest fan because he keeps gaining weight or whatever like this is one of Pep's kind of go-to guys who has been there who is a creative defender um, and just suddenly like plucked from the team like it just seemed weird um, and I think that's concerning right like if there's starting to be some of these odd things like that's when these good teams start crumbling a little bit when you know all the the kind of the shine of winning so often rubs off it, it it can it can crumble fast and we'll talk about Liverpool later but it's it's definitely happened there um but let's talk about our friend Sean Dyche I'm pretty sure we broke this news Joe I think we predicted he would be the manager about a month ago I think even before Frank Lampard left um so he comes in uh does what Sean Dyche likes to do and, proper football <laughs> and uh beats Arsenal 1-0 uh, at home uh this you know this game this game was before the Tottenham game, right? So, you know, it was kind of Man City. That's another thing. Like, th- there was a way to make up ground on Arsenal after they after they lost to Everton and they didn't even come out swinging, uh, which was interesting. But, yeah, Sean Dyche does what he does best. He makes teams who like to play football not be able to play football. Um, gets the best out of his players, however that may be, however inattractive or attractive that, that may be and uh you know talking about the traditional stats you know they had less than 30 percent of the possession in this one uh but they come out with the whole three points uh which was much needed with the skid that they've been on what were your thoughts on uh Everton Arsenal Joe yeah so we can uh how do we want to uh, let's focus on Arsenal first uh, let's focus on Everton <laughs> first and then we can talk about Arsenal in a second uh, Everton, what a proper performance, really. <laughs> really just an absolute proper, proper performance. Um, this this converted Jim to definitely being an Everton fan, right? This, this game was everything that Jim... Uh, well, game. the problem is Brighton is so damn good. But, <laughs> you know, True. with Everton, this this is like, you know, when you, when you talk about sacking a manager, right? And I think we saw the clips during the week of, like, you know in training of these Everton players look like they were going through like a hell week, right? They were just gassed <laughs> and like, like what has Frank Lampard been doing? And I just think this is the difference between having a defensive tactical manager opposed to a player like Frank Lampard who's more about attacking, right? When you're clubbing Everton and you don't have the skill up front, it's hard to play like Frank Lampard wants you to play. And it's much easier to be better defensively, be more compact and make it difficult for your opponent especially at home. Mm-hmm. And I think what we saw is these are the same players Frank Lampard had, but they're playing more to their strengths in the sense that they're decent defensively, but they're not very good going forward. So what do we do? We simplify the game. You know, we score off a corner kick and we play solid defense and the, the emotion, right? I think the hardest thing for everything going forward is matching the, the effort and the emotion they had in this game. The crowd just, just all over them, right? Just behind them, trying to push them over the finish line. And Everton, honestly, this was a game that they deserved to win. Mm-hmm. And they, they were probably, despite what you said about the possession, which is was a true fact, I, I didn't feel like ever, like Arsenal had that many great chances. I mean, Troussard had one late, which was far off. Um, I think, um, I forget who else on Arsenal, there was another late chance that just kind of zoomed over. Um but Arsenal really threatened them because Everton were so compact. They were able to keep up the pressure. And Arsenal just like looked like they went to a, you know, a lion's den. I know they didn't go to Millwall, but <laughs> that's what Goodison was. It was just uh, 
it was just an incredible performance. And like, you know, when you want to talk about, you know, when you talk about football, you know, the crowd can be such an equalizer sometimes. And the crowd at Goodison, as much as they hate the board, as much as badly as they want change, they they gave their players so much, uh, you know, extra stamina, so much extra effort. You know, they kept those players up and giving it their all. And in it, you know, you get a goal and, and you're able to do that. You can get three points off the best team in England so far this year. Um, and this, they're going to need more results like this because they're obviously not out of the woods yet. They're going to have to have keep maintain this this very good home form because I think that's what they're going to need to carry them out of this relegation battle. Yeah, and I think like this, what Everton did, we saw Newcastle do to Arsenal a few weeks back, right? Like, and, and I know Newcastle weren't able to kind of steal the victory in that one, but it, Arsenal are easy to throw off their game. Like, if you just get in their faces and you don't let them do what they want to do, it, they almost don't seem to have a plan B. Like, they don't, they're not the type of team um, that, you know, yes, we can't play our expansive good football, but we still will find a way to win and grind it out. It's almost like, Oh, you've thrown us off our game now. Like they're kind of looking at each other, like, "What do we do?" And Everton, to their credit, were able to continue that for ninety minutes, which is not easy, right? Like being that kind of compressed and putting that amount of pressure. You know, every tackle was a hundred percent effort in every tackle, and just not giving them any room to breathe is is not easy. And I think this is this is if I was an Arsenal fan, this is where I'd be concerned in in the title races. The more teams see this this game, they see the Newcastle game of how to kind of throw Arsenal off their game. It's going to become, you know, the worst kept secret, and everyone's going to just say, "Oh, let's just put nine, ten men behind the ball for the whole game." Yeah, we might sneak a victory, but you know, when you're playing top of the league, a point even at home, especially for someone like Everton, is good, right? So you're going to be happy to just dis- disgruntle Arsenal and and throw them off. But I don't know if you have much more to say about Arsenal themselves and and Halley, but that would be my biggest concern with them moving forward is this is the second time now that we've seen a team be able to throw them off and they don't seem to have a plan B. Uh, yeah, I'm actually much more optimistic on Arsenal. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think there's many teams that could have gone into Goodison and win uh, on, on uh, Saturday. That's also time. true. Yeah, I got to give know, it, I, I may be undercrediting Everton there by saying that. So yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about this in the NFL. Um, it's like a scheduling spot, right? It's like, oh, we had to play a back-to-back road game. We got to play this team on the, against, the, you know, a divisional game in 90-degree weather in December when we're from, you know, Buffalo, right? This was, this was as bad of a schedule spot as you could get. The first game of Sean Dyche era, a team <laughs> in the relegation hunt in front of a Goodison crowd that is just ready for. It's like the Coliseum, you know. You said ready yeah. for blood. And it was just, you know, especially for a young team like Arsenal, I just thought it was a terrible spot for them. So, look, I don't think – I think this is honestly, to my memory, the first game all year that Arsenal should have lost, right? I think right. the Man United game that they did lost, they were the better team. And even that Newcastle game you mentioned, I thought, you know, Newcastle did well to hold them up. But Newcastle is the best defensive team in the Premier League. Right. And I felt like Arsenal were pretty much in control of that game. They just couldn't break them down. This game, I felt like, was just kind of like a one-off. Like, it was just this game was just always going to be difficult for Arsenal, and they just weren't able to overcome it. Um, so I wouldn't be overly concerned if I was a if I was a Gooner. Um, all those 
gooners that are now financial fair play experts all of a sudden uh man city broke so many rules um but <laughs> besides that little aside i just took there if i think if you're an arsenal fan i think you have to be pleased i think um you know man city lost you know you're great your great friends over uh in north london did you a favor so city didn't catch up on you you still have that five point cushion you still have a game in hand obviously you have a big game with Arsenal coming next midweek, but I mean against Man City at home next midweek. I just think that this, in my opinion, is just a one-off. Now, if we see this um, again on Sunday when they're playing, uh, who are they playing on Sunday? Um, Brentford on Saturday. Yes, and Brentford's a very good team. Yeah, Man City's the one that's playing on Saturday. Uh, Arsenal's playing on Saturday against Bre- Brentford. very has been a very good team. We talked about the, they've won four of the last five. Only you know, and the one other result was a draw. You know, even though this is at home at the Emirates, this is not going to be an easy match. So, but I do think Brentford plays more of an open style that Arsenal should be able to attack. So, there should be three points for Arsenal. They should be able to get back on top of the horse and and pull through here. And yeah, I would you know if we see more performances like against like we saw against Everton in the next few weeks when they're playing you know more defensive teams, I'll get slightly concerned. But at this point, I'm willing to say it's just a one-off. That's fair, that's fair. But uh, we're talking about someone's first game in charge. I think we should transition to someone's last game in charge. Uh, he may be coming home now, Joe, for you. Jesse, Jesse Marsh <sighs> saw his last day in charge of Leeds United following a, a 1-0 defeat. My boy, Brennan Johnson, uh, the future of Welsh football, scoring yet again. Um, the future's bright for Wales right now with him, yeah, uh, and bright. only him because uh, Joe Allen retired today as well. So you know things oh, are crumbling. Wow. But anyway, what a loss! What a loss! <laughs> I, I love Joe Allen. You hate him. It's all good. Um, I don't hate. Yeah. I don't hate him. I just, <laughs> you don't know, rate him. <laughs> I can't say I've thought much about him in the last four years. That's he's um, fine. Anyway, that's that's my one Welsh uh, nod for this podcast. But yeah, Jesse Marsh. Um, just you know, he can give all the motivating uh, buzzword speeches in the world and post post match interviews that he wanted, uh, but nothing was turning around his fortunes at Leeds. They lose again. He's on his way out. Um, your thoughts on on Jesse Marsh? Is is this ruled him out from any chance of any involvement with the U.S. men's national team, or do you oh. think this opens the door even more now that he's yeah. got nothing else to do? Yeah. I, I think he's definitely one of the two or three favorites for that and would be my odds-on favorite. But, you know, I think Jim Curtin, there's a few others that have a shot, you know, Peter Vermees. But disregard that. Um, I think the Leeds board had a very difficult decision to make here in the sense that I thought Leeds were playing decent football, even in this game against Forrest, especially in the first half. I thought Leeds were the better side. Um, I think we had that. I forget was against Leicester a couple of weeks ago when he famously said, "Oh, that was our best performance of the year, even though we lost or whatever." Right, yeah. Um, you know, I I did get the sense that Leeds were playing good football, but at the bottom line is, it's a results-oriented business. They're obviously towards the relegation uh, side of the table in the relegation fight, and um, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like. Um, you know, I just, you know, it's a tough decision, right? But like, I don't blame the board for making the decision that they did. It's also like an interesting 
timing thing because they they spent a bit of money in January, right? Like, and we've spoken about this with Chelsea a little bit, and you know, it not being Graham Potter's signings. So it's like, you know, you've 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 made some moves in in the window, and then you've decided to move on from your manager very very shortly after that, and it you're then gonna have to bring someone in um and we'll talk about kind of their result tonight uh which was obviously a good result but what were they investing in then like why were they making those like it just or if 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 this was always gonna likely be an outcome after another loss or two like why didn't they do this like at the start of january and then give someone the opportunity to come in and then they they're making those investments it just seems like I, I think it's a little different just because it was one player, right? It was really just Western McKinney. And if you rate him, regardless of who the manager is, like, Tottenham's kind of going through this right now where, like, they don't know if Conte's going to stay. So they're just trying to bring in good players. And I don't, like, I don't hate that strategy. Like, I don't think, I think what Chelsea did in the summer was much worse because it's a lot of different players. It's a lot of highly, highly uh, regarded players that are going to cost large transfer fees and Tuchel was kind of in charge of it all here. I don't I don't feel like Jesse Marsh was in charge of the transfers. Obviously, he wanted Weston McKinney. I'm sure he gave his approval. But I think really it was just Leeds trying to bring in another player that they could help, when, whether they had Jesse Marsh or not. Yeah. They brought in Rutter as well for 30-something million from Hoffenheim. Um, and yep, there was someone true. else yep. on, tre- on deadline day, I forget who it was, that they brought in. I think there was like three or four players. But yeah, like it just seems odd to me. Like, uh, And, you know... Maybe they thought that those players would turn it around and they were good enough for Jesse Marsh to get through the year, right? So like, it's not. I'm not saying it's an easy decision to make. I just find it kind of interesting. Of if he was on such a short leash of like, you know, you lose the forest and you're out. Like, why didn't they just do that a week or two ago? Um, it didn't seem like they were they. They can't have had too much faith in him. I guess is is my point. And uh, Montero was the other one that they brought in on uh, on the deadline day, but. Um, we can kind of talk about they they earned a good draw tonight though away at Old Trafford. Um, they scored in the first minute, which is always a nice way to start. Um, where do you see Leeds going from here? Are they kind of going to be able to keep their head above water and keep the well? Right now, I think it's one point gap uh, at, the, at the bottom for, between them and the relegation zone. Is 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 the change? Are they going to see a Sean Dyche esque? kind of new manager bump at some point and, and get a few good results? Or do you think it's, you know, you're just, it's a bit of a, trying to plug holes the best you can? I think the issue is, I, I just think we're at the point of the, I don't know who's worse than them at the bottom of the table, right? <laughs> I think West Ham and Everton are both better. I think they might be better. I think they're more talented than Wolves, but Wolves are solid at the back, um, which is a nice anchor to have. And I mean, Leicester is, you know, I guess similar to Leeds, even Forest, who they just lost to, or Palace, are none of the woods yet. I just, I don't feel like if I'm a Leeds fan, I'm very apprehensive because I don't think there's three teams that are clearly worse than them. I think Southampton's worse, and I think Bournemouth is worse. But other than those those two sides, I don't, I don't feel like any of these teams are that much worse, right? Like. I just think there's a lot of teams that are similar. And when there's a lot of teams that are similar, someone has to go down. So, you know, I, obviously I know the club doesn't want that. I think they have, you know, bringing in McKinney uh, and amongst others that they brought in this window, you know, should help. Um, but I think I think uh, I'd be very apprehensive if I were a Leeds fan. 
Yeah, I think I think that's going to be the what it boils down to is like, do, can you think of the the teams worse than you, and that that's going to give you the level of comfort. Like if if you can name three or four teams that you think's worse than your team, then you're probably feeling pretty comfortable. And if you can't, like you say with Leeds, it's it's probably a coin toss between uh, a few of those teams in that in the relegation battle. That uh, yeah, I think it's going to see like I, if they can bring in a new manager and they can you know if that just sparks even kind of a two three game stretch where they win a couple and draw one like that's going to be weight like that's going to give them such a boost um but yeah i i still don't think it changes a lot with with marsh there or not um i think it's just it's, it's one of those things that it's always the coach's fault and that's what the board can do is fire the coach right and that's what they had to do but um Turn our attention to Man United. They they won on the weekend and then drawing tonight, uh, beating Palace two one on the weekend and then two two today with Leeds. Uh, it seems like at the top of the table right now, no one really wants to just keep winning games. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about Newcastle after this one. But it, yeah, I think it's it, it's been interesting to to see what's been going on over the last couple of weeks in in the Premier League. Um, what were your thoughts on on Man United and you know, across these two games and where they're kind of heading and you know i i was here blindly saying that they were in the title race they probably still are just based on <laughs> no, <points>. no. <laughs> but yeah i think their, their recent form since i've said that has, has not been great but yeah i think yes. there's such a lack of consistency which is, is is kind of interesting well i mean we i know you mentioned Leeds had a good result but they, they were up two nil True. You know, in the 60s minute, and and they lost, uh, they wound up drawing, and they they got lucky to draw at the end there. Um, yeah, I think the you know United is just not a team that's they're just a year away or two years away from from being what they can be. You know, they this is a team that you can tell has under Ten Hag has a a good system. They play well. Um, you know, they're they're strong defensively. They're just not quite there, right? I, I just you know. They're they're starting Valet Veghorst, <laughs> you know they're um, you know they're playing Martial a lot, who I don't rate too highly. Um, you know I think Rashford has been kind of their saving grace up front. You know he scored again against Leeds today, um, and he's going to need to keep scoring uh, to keep them in the top four. I mean, we saw Jaden Sancho score today, which is nice. So I think he could if they could get him going, and if you had him and Rashford up front, you know that's something that could really really get you going with Fernandez and. Um, you know, once they get Casemiro back, because obviously they didn't have Casemiro today too either. So, um, you know, I think Man United should be in the top four. They're headed in the right direction. They obviously have the EFL Cup final against Newcastle, which I think is a a fun battle against two teams on the rise. Um, obviously they're still in the Europa League. They're still, you know, second favorite for the FA Cup. So I think, I, I think United will be in the top four, and I think they're going to win one or two of those trophies that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think United fans should take solace in that. It's just they're not they're not at the point where they're ready to win the league. I suppose if Arsenal has a you know a meltdown, yeah, maybe <laughs> it's wide open for anybody. But you know, this United team is just a year or two away and that's fine. They're headed in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And if we stick on, on the top four back oh I think we can talk about Newcastle a little bit here. Um West Ham getting a very, very good point, a difficult place to go and get anything up at St. James's Park. And to be honest, uh, with this game, Newcastle took the lead very early. Um, and what we've seen from Newcastle of late is the ability to shut up shop at the back and not letting any goals. So, you know, 
1-0 up after the first couple of minutes against a West Ham team that are obviously been struggling throughout this year. You kind of thought it was done and dusted. Um, so credit to, to West Ham to be able to kind of get their way back into this game. Um, I think this is another sign of what we've talked about many times with this Newcastle team of like, where do the goals come from for this Newcastle team? There's not a ton. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the Newcastle-West Ham game? Yeah, the first five minutes, I have no idea what West Ham were doing. Their <laughs> defense. I mean, they gave uh, they had a goal to disallowed in the first minute, and then Wilson, you know, Callum Wilson scored in the third minute. Um, uh, I, I used to call him Paqueta, but everyone calls him uh, Pog- uh, Paqueta or Pagata. Right. I think they call him Pagata. Pagata, so I, I think it is. Yeah, Pagata. So I guess that's what I have to go with. I thought it was always Paqueta, but I don't know. Um, if you if you're listening to English people say it, they're like we're we're very good at uh, <laughs> mispronouncing people's names um, and trying to sound cultured by putting accents. Yeah, but I just want to make sure people understand who I'm talking about. We're talking, <laughs> I'm talking about the Brazilian international who is starting in their World Cup for Brazil. Uh, so you know the, he scores uh, in the 32nd minute. Um, but and I felt like West Ham had the bet once those first five to ten just awful minutes went by. I thought West Ham kind of took back advantage. I thought in the second half it was more Newcastle, but I think you mentioned it. And I think when we talk about a team that, like, I I think right now Liverpool are likely to fall out. I mean, Liverpool, Newcastle are likely to fall out of the top four Um, just because they're very good at the back. We've talked about Trippier. We've we've talked about um, Byrne. We've talked about Schar. But the problem is they don't have enough up front, in my opinion. Almiron has been very, better than expected, but not enough. Callum Wilson, Wilcock, Longstaff, Joe Linton. There's just not enough there, in my opinion. These aren't these aren't Champions League quality players. They're right. good players if you have a couple of them, and you had if you had a you know a, a Mo Salah, a Harry Kane. If you had a couple of those players, then I feel very differently. And and I think they have um, Isaac, who um, you know they signed from uh, Spain, Real. Um, Sociedad, they brought him in, and, and he's and, you know he's he's been hurt, so he hasn't really been playing. Maybe he's the guy that can maybe put them off the, over the edge, but I think that's asking a lot of a younger player. Um, this is again like similar to United. I just think they're maybe a step behind United, right? And we'll see that in the FL Cup final coming up. But I just think Newcastle are headed in the right direction. They have a good solid foundation with the back four that they have. Um, I just don't see enough up front um, to get them across the finish line in terms of getting into the Champions League this year. Yeah, and you know we, we obviously talked at length about Man City and their spending habits at the start of this, and, and Newcastle are a team now owned by some form of Saudi Arabian government or royalty, whatever you want to call it. Um, I was surprised that there weren't any other signings uh, in, in the kind of winter transfer window for Newcastle I thought they would have probably I don't think it's like a secret that we're talking about here that they don't have a like they don't have Alan Shearer like when they used to have Shearer playing right like they don't have that guy right now um and I was shocked to see that they didn't even try and bring someone even if it wasn't long term just just someone uh to add and like you say they brought in a Zach but he's been hurt but 
you know, these this is now a team with very deep pockets. I thought they would have probably splashed the cash a bit more, but you know, maybe they are trying to stay within the financial fair play and be more responsible. I don't know, but but yeah, yeah, and they didn't shocking. spend that much this summer. I mean, it was you know they spent right. they, you know when they were battling to stay you know promoted last year. They obviously spent on Trippier and a few other players, but. You know, they really spent Isaac, and that was really it. So mm-hmm. I think the, the payments are coming. That's a fan base that I think is a little bit different than Man City. St. James is a huge stadium. I think yeah. they can fill it up, and they can generate a little bit more revenue than Man City. Um, and if they get into the Champions League, that's going to help a lot too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's – you know, I, I, I just – I think, like like you mentioned, I couldn't agree more. I think I'm surprised they didn't make any additions up front during the, the January transfer window. And um, I just, you know, I th- look, they could still make the top four. It's still very open. We don't know what's going to happen with Man City. Spurs are still up and down. Brighton, as fun as they are, they're still not a classical top four team. So there's still a chance for them to get top four. Hell, they're still even in the fourth place spot right now. I just, I think they're the team that should be very concerned about dropping out. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Joe, I think we've reached that part of the podcast where I can't delay it anymore. I think we need to talk about Wolves versus Liverpool. Um, but wait, wait, can you just, not to dominate this conversation, <laughs> but can you just talk about the first 15 minutes and what that will happen? And is that the worst you've ever seen Liverpool play in the club? I, I would probably, like, in, in, a, in a condensed 15-minute period, I'd say yes. I think there's games where they've just not been good at all, but it's kind of... <sighs> I they did just, have that that Villa loss, right? That was under Klopp. It was like seven one or seven two. Seven two, yeah. They also yeah. had the loss, like the year. I think it was just before the pandemic, so the year they won the league and they were, like, they were undefeated, and then they went to Watford and they lost three nil. I think it was, um, you know, uh, Troy Deeney scoring because he's been forty six I mean, forever and still scores for Watford. Um, but this was just Wolves I, had twelve goals all year. They had three in this game. They had, two, well, they had two in 12 minutes. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I guess seven minutes technically if you count yeah. the time between the two goals. And I just, it, I'm at a loss for words. I feel like I obviously have been very down on Liverpool on this podcast many, many times. And just when you think it can't get worse, uh, they surprise you yet again. And it's just so lifeless. Like, I, And I don't know like what can change. Uh, we talk about a team that wasn't that active in the transfer window. Um, you know, here is a team that decided to add another winger or like attacking player in Gapco. But other than that, you know, everyone has talked about how Liverpool have no midfield and they have done nothing to change that. And I don't understand it. Like, it makes no sense why. Um, you know, there's all these talks. They're waiting for Bellingham. They're waiting for Bellingham. They're not going to get Bellingham, right? Like, they, and I, uh, I think I've I done this right. But if they finish 10th in the Premier League, you think he's going to be coming rushing to the doors of Anfield and saying, yeah, I can't wait to not play in any European fixtures next year? I don't know. There was talk that, would hurt. that would hurt, obviously. But I, I still think Bellingham is the type of player who I still could see going to Liverpool, even if they're not in the Champions League. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's it's impossible, but I think if he's choosing between you know some of the European elite and and the Liverpool don't make a European competition, I think it, that's going to help make his mind up. And, you know, there was talks that they were going to get Enzo Fernandez. He ends up going to Chelsea. Like, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. I'm not sure, like, we talk about, you know, Man City spending at will, Chelsea spending at will. Liverpool are obviously a team that 
have done that to some extent, but you know they're a bit more cautious and there's a bit more kind of thought process into the moves they make. But I just I think they needed to do more, or I think they've just given up on the season altogether. But I don't know what that then looks like for next year. And you know, are they going to suddenly do a big clean out? And I don't think they're going to want to do that either in the summer and suddenly have to sign you know five or six first team players because that's going to be a lot of money, right? So it's I think the hardest thing that this game kind of showed me was like I don't know what direction Liverpool are going in right now and I don't see you know there was the year when they basically were playing whoever they could at centre back because they were hit by the injury bug and it's like yes they've got a couple of injuries this year or a few injuries this year but I think the actual core of the squad even if they are fully healthy right now are not good enough uh, to be kind of pushing for the title for sure or even pushing for top four uh, and, and Champions League football and what, how do you change that right like and you know I got to give Wolves some credit here like they they as you said have not been playing the best football they have not scored a ton of goals all year and they saw a Liverpool team that were there for the taking and they took it and they did it right like I yeah I just don't know <laughs> I lost the words like I, 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 what does Klopp do like does like is he going to want to stick around if this is kind of what the next couple of years look like while they go through some form of rebuild? Is that what he's interested in? You know, like there was talks that he was going to leave a couple of years ago and is he going to want to go through that? Like he seems to be the person that comes in, he makes it, he builds his squad, he gets success. And we've talked about it before. He going to hits that seven year point when it starts, like it's almost like he has to start over again, but it, it, his history would suggest that he likes then starting again somewhere else. I don't know if he wants to start again at Liverpool and go through all this again. Um, and that's my little soliloquy rant uh, on Liverpool and the hopelessness. <laughs> and I, yeah, obviously it could be a lot worse. They're still sitting in tenth. You know, we're not talking about them in a relegation battle. Uh, thankfully, you know, I, I think if the start of the season, like if the World Cup was the start of the season, uh, there would be even bigger concerns of like how are they even going to ever win a game. Um, they just haven't even looked good. Mo Salah has just been anonymous, and I think part of that's just because the way the whole team is playing. But you know, he he was someone that you give one chance, he would score, and now he's only getting one chance, and he's not scoring, and that's that's costing them big. Um, Garko has come in; he hasn't scored yet since he arrived. Um, I don't even know if Liverpool have scored. The whole team have scored since he's arrived. Oh, um, oh I have a fun <laughs> fact for you. Since the World Cup, do you know who scored the most goals for Liverpool? Is it own goals? I don't know. <laughs> well, who was responsible for two of those own goals? <laughs> oh, uh, what's he called? Voot, uh, Vague, no, what's he called? Face. Vout Face. Yes. Amazing. He's the leading goal scorer. scorer for Liverpool since the break. And he almost <laughs> had a third. <laughs> yeah, he was denied. He was denied the hat trick. Um, yep. So you got Liverpool taking care of Wolves. What I would say is, look, another, I mean, three points. Anytime you can get three points at Molyneux against even a team as shaky as Liverpool been, it's still a great three points. Um, look, they've still scored the least amount of goals, even with these three of any team in the Premier League, but they're very solid at the back. You know what they're going to try and do. They're going to try and ground out results. So anytime they can get three points and keep a clean sheet, that's like their dream. Um, this is a team that, you know, like we talked about Leeds, this is a team that should be worried about going down as well. They're in the thick of it. They don't score many goals. Um, so they're going to have to grind and grind and grind. And, you know, if I if you force me to put my money on it, I would say they would just about do enough. But 
it's it's a perilous situation, but look, they got three points and they they've won two out of the last three, and that's the kind of form that they're gonna have to try and keep going forward. Yeah, the weekend was kicked off by by Chelsea Fulham, which uh, I, I don't have a ton to say about this game. I I watched that. That was so shutdown fest, which was not much. There was not many. Uh, um, like I say, terrible. the big. The big news around Chelsea is Enzo Fernandez coming in for 107 million pounds. I think it was. Um, that's on top of you know some other moves they made, and it's just I don't know. It just it, I think well, we've spoken enough about Chelsea. We don't have to go into this too much, but it's just Chelsea spending money for what seems like the sake of spending money. Um, you know. Yeah, is, I have a couple. I have a couple of uh, uh, friends who are very much saying Potter, Potter out, Potter out. Um, in the sense that they just don't think he's a good enough. This isn't actually an Arsenal fan saying this. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I'm still in the camp that he needs time. Um, I think his tactics look like a mess because none of the players have been in training. Um, right. So I just, I think you got to give him time. I hope Chelsea, I, well, I guess I don't hope they do, but if, if I'm a Chelsea fan, I would hope that they'd give him time. And look, I don't think they're going to be in the top four this year. I think they might just scrape into Europe. This is going to be a rebuilding year, and I think Chelsea fans just need to keep that in mind. And look, they still have an opportunity. I mean, it's the Champions League. It's going to be difficult, but they have, you know, Dortmund, who has, you know, is in the a lock by any means in the round of 16, and you win that, you know, in the quarterfinal, and you have a shot. So, and and I, I think you know, Champions League is going to start returning in a couple of weeks, and I think there's surely no team in Europe. That's in the Champions League. That's playing well, um, whether it's Bayern Munich or um, you know Manchester City or PSG, whoever you think is the favorite. They all kind of look like kind of crappy right now. So I think yeah. it's a very open Champions League. I know as a Spurs supporter, I've seen them make a final. Obviously, I know it's a, it's long odds, but I mean, I see a path to them making a deep run. So I think if I feel that way, I think almost everybody should feel that way. So um, including Chelsea. So. I would just say be patient, be patient. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Enzo Fernandez, he looked good at the World Cup. Um, be kind of uh, see how that translates to the English game. Um, Benfica, obviously, huge winners getting that fee. I think I predicted that on the back of Ramos's uh, hat trick that they would be the winners of the World Cup by, by selling someone who had a good World Cup. Ended well, up being Fernandez, him. not Ramos. But... Yeah, would they buy him for like 14 million or was it 20 million yeah. or something like that? And it was only like, it was at the start of this season, right? Like, it wasn't yeah. even that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, if now, I. Now, there was I... a sell on fee where uh, if you had the Brazilian club, but they got 35 yes. million out of it, but, uh, but still, still not, a, not a bad bit of business. No, if I could make that kind of return on investment, I would be probably not recording a podcast right now. I'd probably be sat on a beach somewhere. Or maybe I'd be and, recording the podcast. And, and I do want to touch on that. <laughs> the amount of outflow of money in the Premier League is just monstrous. How much <laughs> money this league is generated. And then you see the net spend. And we have almost every club in England is spending tons. I mean... I mean, you could go on and on. I think almost every team brought somebody in this window who's you know highly paid. Besides, uh, maybe Man City. I don't know if Man City brought in anyone, but other than that, I mean, I felt like every team brought in a couple notable players, and everyone's trying to trying to stay alive and you know continue to get those those payments. Whether if you're at the bottom to you know not get relegated, or if you're uh, a top end team trying to secure Champions League. Yeah, I think uh, just so we kind of can 
conclude our talk around the the transfer window. And I think for me, the best buy was uh, Arsenal getting Jorginho from Chelsea for twelve million pounds. Like whether you think he's like past it, whatever. In in this current climate, you're paying for someone who has won trophies and no. multiple trophies, and no. he's not. But you got to think of what Arsenal have done here. Uh, he's not going to be starting for Arsenal, right? They paid no, no, twelve million pounds. For, I don't mind the move. I don't mind the move. I just think it's like I I think it was Chelsea selling him for twelve million when they knew like that was basically to make way um, for yep. for Fernandez coming in um, yeah. to a. London rival to obviously a Premier League rival. I think Arsenal have done good. Like that's just the business we don't typically see. Um, for for someone who was was a starter for Chelsea, right? Like I don't think he's a starter for Arsenal, but I just thought it was good business. That was. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I think it's a fine move. I think they need a depth. So if it's Georgino, I think that's better than what they had. They had you know. Not much there. They had Elmany, really. Um, and I, I think Trussard is a much better signing. I, I think he's a player that could actually make a difference. I think Jorginho is just kind of there as a breaking case of an emergency, which is fine. I don't think it's a bad deal, right? But I, right. I don't think it's the best deal the the, the window, like you said. <laughs> Come on. Um, no, not the, not necessarily not the bad. best deal, but like as in, like if when you look at all of the parameters, it's like. And like I say, the, to your point around how much money these teams are spending, like twelve million pounds for a starting midfielder that's now going to be on your bench. Like Man City pay a hundred million for those types of players for their bench. So just yeah, from that it, standpoint, it's not like he was, you know, Arsenal's number one target. You know, it's just kind of someone that that kind of fell to them. Um, it's fine. Look, I don't, I just, I don't rate Jorginho too highly. And he, look, he's he's a rotational player. He's not going to start. You know, he's still going to have Partey and Jaka, who are the keys. But if they get injured, I don't know how much Georgino is going to help. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so we'll just kind of summarize the last few games here. We had Villa losing at home to Leicester. Uh, the most goals of the weekend here. Uh, and most of them coming in, the, it was kind of, what was it, 3-2 at halftime? Finished 4-2. Uh, big win for Leicester, really. And I think this is yes. uh, a loss that you know Villa won't want to see at home. Uh, to one of nope. the, the relegation battle teams. I think Villa is still kind of detached enough. They're 10 points off the drop right now. But, you know, th- this is concerning for a Villa team to, to see this type of result because uh, a few more of these and they're going to be well back in the mix. Uh, your thoughts on, on the uh, the Villa-Leicester game? Yeah, huge win for Leicester. If they don't win this, they were tied for relegation in 17th. Uh, they needed these three points. They had lost three of the last four. Uh, only one point in the last four. They were able to get this win, which was huge. Um, keeping them kind of, you know, three points above relegation, giving them a slight little bit of cushion. Look, this is a team that can score. They just can't defend, right? And even in this game, they score four. They still ship two. That was a fun <laughs> game. It was, you know, pretty high-flowing. Um, in terms of, like, deserving winner, um I think it was a little bit closer than the score would indicate. You know, the final score would indicate. Right. Um, but, look, they don't really care as long as they get the win, right? Um, so, you know, it's 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 fine. But um, they just need to keep scoring goals because that's the only way they're going to stay up. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, we'll talk about now the most informed team in the Premier League four wins out of five I think and then one draw Brentford uh, taking care of business Southampton uh, Joe I know you've spoken a lot about your thoughts around Southampton and Bournemouth 
basically being down and out. Uh, this was kind of more evidence of, of that being somewhat true. Uh, yeah, I don't see where I don't, I've spoken about this before. Apart from a Ward Prowse free kick, Southampton aren't scoring many goals, uh, and, and when you're shipping, conceding three uh, against a Brentford team that, like I say, are very in form, playing very very good football, uh, it's just going to be. I feel like you're almost just counting down the days for the end of the season now, as from a Southampton standpoint, and you know could come back to to eat those words eventually, but. I, I just don't see them turning it around. Uh, your thoughts on on Brentford Southampton? Uh, bad news for Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean Brentford just quietly keep just playing brilliantly. Uh, <laughs> they're seventh in the table right now. Um, I think we've given Brighton a lot of love and respectfully so but i think brentford's kind of saying you know what about us um i've been very impressed by them how could you not be they've won four of the last five um you know they play good solid football and this is you know what you would expect this is what you'd want from a mid-table team to clean up on a team that they're better than right and that's exactly what they did they they cleaned up on southampton who's bottom of the table and if you're southampton like you know this is a game where you need to perform better. You know, this this wasn't even close, right? It was 3-0, but I don't even think it was a particularly close 3-0. It's not like one of those where, like, oh, if we had one shot, they got a lucky opportunity, maybe we had a shot. Like, it really wasn't like that. So um, I'd be very, very – I mean, if, if I'm a Southampton fan, I'm kind of – I don't want to say I'm preparing for championship football, <laughs> but it's been a great run, but uh, – they're going to need a lot of James Ward across free kicks if they're, they're going to want to stay alive. Yeah, and I think it's like when you, you look at the Everton performance, and I know obviously there's an element of the, the new manager bump there, but like I just don't see a performance like that coming from the Southampton team. I think like even wow. the players, it just seems to be lifeless. And uh, that's, what, what, that's what happens when you put a Welshman in charge. <laughs> Hey, we've had some good managers over the years, um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about the last game, which uh, Brighton, like you say, we've uh, we've spoken very highly there. I think they're the second most informed team after Brentford uh, in the league right now. Uh, they've been doing very well. Uh, this one they left late. Matoma, however you say it, Matoma. Matoma. Um, scores again uh he's looking very good you know they obviously lost trossard and uh, there was some concerns of what that would mean but uh, they haven't seemed to be struggling to this point uh since he left and uh yeah get another win probably you know you would be expecting to to get in control of this game a lot sooner than the 87th minute against bournemouth like you say a team that we don't really uh speak too highly uh in terms of their their abilities but yeah i think I think there was only going to be one result. It wasn't like uh, Brighton stole this at the death or anything. I think it just took them a bit of time to finally get the goal, but uh, I don't think it was ever ever really doubt, in doubt. Any thoughts on this one, Joe? Nope, I agree, and Matoma is fabulous. Uh, <laughs> we didn't really, we haven't really talked about the FA Cup, but the, if you haven't, look up the goal he scored against Liverpool in the FA Cup in the box, yeah. left foot, right foot. You know, yeah. makes the defender who uh, who was the defender that he made look silly. Um, I, I know Nunes was just kind of watching. Um, I forget it was too long ago, but uh, yeah. I, maybe Robertson. I don't even know. But whoever it was, they they looked absolutely clueless. Matoma was a gem. I think he was like a one or two million pound player that they acquired, and that's just what Brighton do, right? We talk about these Premier League teams that are spending all this money. They spend a fraction of it and seem to be have just 
countless players that teams are going to try and try and get this this uh, summer. So, uh, you know, good job if you're a Brighton fan. If you're a Bournemouth fan, I I just <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, they're um, the worst team in the Premier League, in my opinion. Speaking speaking of the FA Cup, I know we missed our uh, our kind of recap last week. Uh, much to say about the round. I think uh, for me, the biggest story uh, was probably Wrexham twice in both uh, the, the the original game and the replays. Sheffield United leaving it very late to kind of be a dagger in the heart of the Wrexham fans. Um, that first game was a lot of fun. Wrexham looked like they could definitely hold their own and obviously it took right kind of one of the last kicks of the game for, for Sheffield United to equalise uh, what were your thoughts kind of just holistically of, of the FA Cup and any kind of big big stories that you saw yeah that first thing of the Wrexham uh, Sheffield Wednesday tie was was it was not Sheffield Wednesday uh, Sheffield, Sheffield United. United whoops um, <laughs> uh, it's a bad error to make but yeah Sheffield United um, the blades. That first performance was just as good of an FA Cup as you can get, and then you had the gut punch late. And then this game, you know, Mullins was, I think, the best player in Wrexham. Um, misses the penalty late. That would have given the two-one lead, and then they concede two late. It was uh, another fun tie. You know, Wrexham, they're you know they have investment, so they're they're a little bit better than a non-league team. They're more of like a League One, League Two side. Mm. Um, and they held their own, and um, I think that's a cool story. That obviously, I mean, they were going to lose to Tottenham next round anyway, but <laughs> it's still a nice, nice performance. And you know, I think going to the, you know, I think the main takeaway here um, for this, um, you know, for this competition is just there's only really Manchester United and Manchester City in terms of prime contenders, right? Chelsea are out, Liverpool are out, Newcastle are out. So I think it's kind of – it's a little bit open to see who can win. I mean, these championship sides, they all have a chance, right? And it'll be interesting to see. You know, we have eight games, you know, round of 16 coming up. You know, Southampton, we just talked about they're going to get Grinsby Town, who's I think a League Two side, so that's one they can definitely win. Leicester Blackburn, Leicester's at home, that's one they could definitely win. Stoke Brighton, that's going to be tricky for Brighton. Um, yeah, and I think I think what's fun and like uh, is that it's it's redrawn every round, right? So it's not like you can kind of see the path of okay, Man City just need to win here, here, and here, and there in the final. It's like you know they could draw Man United, like if they both win, they draw Man United in the next round, and then that's it, like the same way Man City just took out Arsenal, right? So I think that always gives that added level of excitement of we could just see a path where all the, the big dogs just take each other out and, you know, leave behind some fun success story for a team that makes it way, their way to the semifinal or the final uh, just based on it being a random draw every time. Um, I say random draw. Somehow Man United get another home tie. I think this is like the 45th time in a row that Man United are playing at home in the FA Cup. It, like, it just seems to be default now that they get a home tie. But, uh, yeah, I think that'll be a fun game against against West Ham. Uh, yeah, there's only nine Premier League sides left, so um, it's a big round because only two of them play each other. The other five have you know championship or lower opponents. So right. hopefully, you know, a couple of those championship teams win. Yeah. Well, let's take a look ahead to what we've got ahead of us. Uh, some big fixtures coming up. Uh, 
for me, the big one, the relegation battle, Everton versus Liverpool. Uh, we have to wait until Monday night for that one. Uh, what are kind of some of the key fixtures you got your eye on uh, this upcoming weekend, Joe? Well, obviously, next Wednesday, we have the Big Kahuna, Arsenal, Man City. But yeah. before that, uh, Saturday lunchtime, West Ham, Chelsea. Uh, should be fun. Um, Fulham Forest, I think, will be a fun game. Arsenal, Brentford, this is kind of a gut check for Arsenal. Brentford are playing very well, but I think... Arsenal, the way they play, the way Brentford play, they should be able to take advantage. Um, so it should be a good matchup for Arsenal. But, again, you want to get three points, right? I, I think that, that Everton result was just a tough one. It's a tough scheduling spot. But you want to get back on the horse and get back to good football. Southampton Wolves, that's a game Southampton needs three points. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I think that's really it. I mean, United leads again. Um, not a great spot for United. I mean, you just lose. Now you got to go to Ellen Road, new manager for a second time. I don't love that spot, but we'll see. Yeah, it's uh, home and home, uh, like the North Americans like to do for some reason. I know that the, the game today was rescheduled, but uh, yeah, I think it'll be a fun one. We'll probably hold off recording until Wednesday again, just so we can tie in that Arsenal. We'll give our live reactions or some somewhat live reactions to that game because uh, I think if, if Arsenal win that uh, and they get a decent result at the weekend against Brentford, uh, I think we're kind of we can start taking our attention elsewhere than the title race um i think man city will be concentrating solely on the champions league if they if they lose to arsenal in the league a week from now but uh joe i don't have any but do you have any winners and losers this week i didn't put any together i apologize oh you just gave up i just uh, um, <laughs> uh so my winner is going to be german football yeah more goals uh, well not just that we have a proper <laughs> title race you know true uh we have a team in, in in Bayern Munich who's won, what, the last 10, I think, Bundesliga titles, struggling a bit. And what we have is kind of chaos. We have <laughs> Munich on 40. We have Union Berlin on 39. We have Dortmund on 37. We have Leipzig on 36. We have Eintracht Frankfurt on 35. And we have Freiburg on 34. So, obviously, all four... Uh, Champions League spots are very up for grabs. I don't, you know, like I don't think Frankfurt or Freiburg or Leipzig are going to win the title, but they're all there. Union Berlin has been a tremendous story. Mm -hmm. uh, Dortmund ship goals. You know, I, you know, Bayern Munich still the heavy favorite. They should get there, but um, you know, Champions League fixtures coming up. But it'll be interesting. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, my loser is going to be Real Madrid. Just. Uh, <laughs> go away from home they lose to Mallorca 1-0 they missed a penalty in the second half um, no Kareem Benzema probably is a big reason why they lost they didn't have him to uh, finish the penalty but yeah. you know that's those are the breaks sometimes in life right you don't always have um, your best players available at all times and in a true La Liga fashion they lost 1-0 um, <laughs> due to the due to the Asensio missed uh, penalty, but the more important story is they're now eight points behind Barcelona. Barcelona don't they just have Europa League football? Um, you know they are playing uh, a pretty big fixture um, <laughs> in the uh, Europa League, so I think they're going to try and win it. But you know Madrid, uh, you know playing Liverpool, even though it's the Champions League, that's probably a favorable team to play right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, Real Madrid's chances of winning La Liga, I think, are going to be tough. I mean, they're six points behind; they're eight points behind Barcelona. 
Obviously, they still play one more time, but the bottom line is, in 20 games, Barcelona's given up seven goals. <laughs> They're yeah, not going to yeah. lose many games giving up one goal every third game. Yeah, so, and, they've, and they've won and they've won seventeen of those games and only drawn two, yeah. lost one. Like it's and, yeah, it's a mountain to climb already. And look, some of these teams in Spain can maybe keep a clean sheet against Barcelona, but none of these teams are going to score. I mean, Atafe, <laughs> LJ, uh, Sevilla at the weekend we just saw Valladolid, uh, Celta Vigo can't score anymore. Mallorca, Mallorca are in tenth place in the La Liga, and they've scored sixteen goals. <laughs> Every team in the Premier League besides Wolves has scored as many goals. Uh, you know, Aswana is in ninth. They scored 19 goals. So it's just, I mean, Villarreal are on six and they've scored 22 goals. You just, I mean, Sociedad is in third. They scored 28. I mean, there's only two teams in Spain that have scored at least 30 goals. Yeah. And they've, every team has played 20. So what, what does that tell you? There's only two teams in La Liga that average at least one and a half goals a game. And they are Barcelona and Real Madrid. So I just don't know how... I just I don't see the path for La Liga for Real Madrid, and if Ancelotti wants to keep his job, I think he's going to want to win a Champions League. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, anything else, Joe? Before we wrap things up tonight? Uh, no, I want to wish Pedro Pedro luck, uh, the new right back for Tottenham. Uh, obviously, Emerson Royal puts on his best performance in a Tottenham shirt. <laughs> As he knows, his job is on the line against Manchester City. But I want to wish Pedro Porro the best uh, going forward because uh, I hope he's one of my favorite players going forward. Um, and look, we, did, we didn't talk about how Tottenham have sold yet another right back to Atletico Madrid for about the fifteenth time in well, like the last ten years. Well, with Doherty, they had to let him go because they they were going to oh, right. put him on loan. Yeah. And they didn't have any more loan options, so they had to outright cut them. Just more <laughs> just crap management. But look, and I think a lot of teams, especially in England, can say this. The FA Cup is up for grabs. Uh, obviously, with United Newcastle, they can win the EFL Cup. The top four finished. There's a lot of teams I still think are, are you know possibility there. And then if you're even if you're a Liverpool fan, if you're a Chelsea supporter, or if you're a Tottenham supporter there's a chance to make a run in the Champions League, you know? And let's say if you're a Chelsea fan, right, you beat Dorman and then the round of the quarterfinal, you get Spurs or you get Liverpool. I mean, that's not impossible to win that, you know? So, um, or you <laughs> Liverpool are not winning Benfica. a Champions League game. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, you got Real Madrid, but we just talked about Real Madrid are struggling. Yeah. So, you know, it only takes that rocket, you know, what do they call a European night at Anfield. It only takes one of those to, to propel you. So you never know. Yeah. Well, thanks, Joe. Uh, if if people want to reach out, how can they get in touch? The Wrong Foot Podcast at gmail dot com. Yeah. So send all your thoughts, feelings, feedback. Subscribe to this podcast so you get it straight to uh, wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Wrong Foot Pod and check out our website, thewrongfootpodcast dot com. Joe, it's been fun as always. Uh, hopefully, we're back on track with our weekly schedule. Like I say, aim to record after the the big title showdown uh, which could really shape the rest of the season next week. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. It's always a pleasure, sir.